Section three of Oscar Wilde from Purgatory by Hester Travers Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter one The Psychic Messages and Automatic Writings of Oscar Wilde. Part two. The following communication came through Mrs. Travers Smith's hand at the Ouija board, July eighth, nineteen twenty three. Present Miss D, Mr. M. L, Mr. C. L. Recorded by Miss Cummins. Oscar Wilde. Give us your opinion of women. Dear lady, do you really wish to speak again to your criminal? I feel rather melancholy tonight, so possibly it is an occasion on which I may reasonably babble about my lost illusions. I have long since passed into a state in which women appear to me merely to exist as the coloured phantoms of an over-excited brain. But even here, in this condition into which the Almighty has found it his pleasure to confine me, he cannot shut out from my only too fertile memory the images of those who passed in and out of my life, flashes of lightning flitting across the leaden heaven." I desired to say that not one woman passed across my path in life who left no furrow on the road behind her. My sensations were so varied with regard to your sex, dear lady, that you would find painted on my heart, that internal organ so often quoted by the vulgar, you would find every shade of desire there, and even more. An Interruption these women, who like dancing flowers sprang on my path, these jewels, who crowned me with torturing pleasure, were the strings of my lyre. They gave me words to weave, and thoughts to cluster round my words. Tell us about one woman. Women were ever to me a cluster of stars. They contained for me all, and more than all, that god has created evil came through them and all the best of me was woven from the woman here there was an interruption from those present oscar is speaking woman was to me a colour a sound she gave me all she gave me first desire desire gave birth to that mysterious essence which was within me and from that deeply distilled and perfumed drug my thoughts were born, and from my thoughts words sprang. Each word I used became a child to me. I loved my words and cherished them in secret. They became so precious they were hidden from the gaze of men, until I nurtured them, and in their fullness brought them forth as symbols of the woman." I feel it very difficult to make your simple nature follow me in this matter. Do I insult you if I maintain that woman must ever be to man the force that is creative? That was what made her hateful in my sight, hateful and sweet as a too powerful vintage. Were all women the same to you? Women came to me like clustered stars, I gathered them as flowers might be culled from a rich garden. 
all their varied perfumes came to me as an intoxicating draught not singly but combined this twined wreath encircled me through life and made my days both sweet and bitter are you there oscar oscar is still waiting on your fainting strength mr l what do you think of the sitwells have you read their poetry no i do not spend my precious hours in catching tadpoles i only leap into the minds of those who have a certain value below this standard i do not sink the criticism communicated by oscar wilde was considered too malicious to be published a sitting was therefore held at fifteen chain gardens chelsea january fourth nineteen twenty four and when oscar wilde spoke he was asked to write a criticism of george moore's works which would be less unkind than the previous one the message was received through mrs travers smith's hand at the ouija board recorded by miss g d cummins what do you think of george moore my fellow-countryman from dublin dear lady here is a fine and intricate mind deeply nurtured in culture steeped in it in fact to a point that compels him to lose sight of the common forms of man and woman to my nature writing of this kind is almost incomprehensible i used the heavy pen and from the soil my tool had turned roses and flaunting lilies rose but from the rocky soil on which moore strives to plant the rose only the lichen draws sufficient nourishment how can we meet on any grounds one difficulty in reading him is to differentiate between the sexes to me masculine and feminine are the entirely arbitrary division of nature while to him they seem perpetually to merge in each other i am ever intrigued as to whether his men are women or his women men and yet what a fine perception of style has more style if you like to style it so a continual flow of words rippling as a stream without colour flows through a level plain no rush in these waters they follow their course with a certainty which may be considered monotonous by the full-blooded the continual flow and ripple of moore's prose lulls the reader to a dozing state it is half slumber that carries him through these colourless pages thus moore murmurs on never a clear or masculine idea but the half-tone delicately sexless sustained throughout do you agree dear lady in your mind i find an admiration of moore's style consider my own productions which have entirely sprung from out the male how can i speak of one whose delicacy of perception exceeds my own my work was fashioned in the glare of sunlight his in the mist of evening for after all dear lady even these figures which move behind the blind in moore's tales are but shadows i cannot speak too highly of what our moore has said of art here indeed we find the slow but determined intention to criticise where there is no intuitive taste 
a worthy critic more most conscientious in that he tries to approach that which to him is almost unintelligible i cannot praise his industry too highly for sheer determination has led him to the studio and what he says is the result of a decision to become what he is not by nature what do you think of hail and farewell i have not personally a craving for the dissecting room the inquiring mind of moore has induced him to lay his friends and enemies thus on the table in order that he might have the opportunity of observing their entrails while still they are alive an accurate method but rather a severe tension for the unfortunate subjects who have to undergo this ordeal in the cause of literature a pause i have a gentle feeling for poor george he is so entirely opposed to me in nature that i feel we perhaps are the complement of each other possibly the two halves of the whole i have a sensation of mild curiosity in trying to discover of what ingredients he is fashioned note mrs t s has always been a great admirer of george moore's work and more especially his style copy of communication received at the ouija board by mrs travis smith july twelfth nineteen twenty three recorded by miss cummins oscar at your bidding dear lady do you object to talking about your prison life i do not at all object to speaking to you about what was to me a most enthralling experience when i say enthralling i mean that my circuit of the world's pain would not have been adequate without that supreme misery for to me it was supreme i who worshipped beauty was robbed not only of the chance of beholding her face but i was cast in on myself and there in that barrenness of soul i languished until my spirit rose once more and cried aloud that this was its great opportunity if i may be a little autobiographical i will go back to the beginning it seemed to me at first that i had died and passed across the bitter stream to that place of dimness where now i am confined there was a desolation of the soul that savoured of despair and yet within me despair had never found a lodgment i was a fallen god a fallen king and felt i had the dignity of royal blood within me i hardly realised my state it seemed impossible that beauty had deserted me i had been condemned it seemed a monstrosity condemned by whom not by the world but by a spiteful narrow crew who could not steer their ship if it fell on a storm i knew the value of that crew the knowledge helped me in my impotence i sat and brooded on the values of the world hounded down by little men and called unclean by pharisees and philistines i had a greater place in the world's scheme than they had ever dreamed of this thought brought me a certain quiet and as day by day came one by one creeping upon each other in sterile dimness 
my soul cried aloud that it was healing oscar dear lady waits for you my soul was healing but my vision of things seen was blind what service are the eyes if they behold nothing but bare and ugly walls and barer uglier humanity what food for me or such as i was was then within these prison walls my eyesight was my food my nourishment and every stimulating glimpse of the world's wonder was shut out from me the pain to think of beauty there without but not for me the agony to feel that still the seasons followed in their courses spring dancing in with all its songs and blossoms and summer in her fullness of repletion and autumn laden downwards with the fruit her womb had borne and winter ashen white and in my cell was dimness only dimness these were my pains not suffering because the world was faithless to me but suffering because all that gave me life and gave the value of my life was shut away from me but here i learnt what i could never learn when beauty was my playmate and companion i learnt the force and use of indignation which surging upwards in my spirit became a fury a possession it gave me life again a scarlet life flashes of scarlet on a sombre background but life it gave me and from the hour when first i realised the power of indignation i was a living man again was that what induced you to write the ballad of reading jail here in the twilight i can think about the time i fought within myself and conquered i lived as fully then as in the days when i proclaimed the triumph of my mistress beauty and all the world of london stood still and hearkened to my paeans in her praise dear lady could you only know the real values of the world you would not reckon crime a loss rather than a gain for here i found for the first time what strength is lodged within a man my daily tasks were easy to me from that day when from out my surging soul came this great revelation of the spirit are you in dimness because of what you were sent to prison for i worshipped the divine inhuman power that casts me into darkness once again it is a different darkness from that within my cell for over here the soul and spirit have reached a realization of themselves here is no glorious birth for soul and spirit as that which sprang from me in reading jail do you know galsworthy's play justice yes i know it well i have carefully digested what our friend has said about a subject he knows nothing of his fertile brain could not devise a prison such as mine was the world divides what it is pleased to call our sins from our good deeds this cleavage is possibly the net result of total ignorance 
for what can be called justice that rises from half the man i bound as to a wheel which ever in its revolutions adds to my pain my pleasure and experience can speak of justice and if you are pleased to listen to me i will give you what has come to me from joy an ecstasy of joy an ecstasy of pain an ecstasy of knowing every day what can be known both in the body and in this state of fluid mind there is no justice possible here or in the world for justice is the full completion of experience nothing more the man who dares to dive below the surface and pick from the depths the creatures of the darkness must ever be despised and hunted while still upon the earth he lives within the body the world has formulated many schemes for what he calls the safety of his race but he has never seen that in this scheme with which he joys to torture those of his fellows who despise his edicts he is providing for himself a torture of the soul's remorse for here we learn that what is anguish more acute than human beings can attain to in the world is the remorseful soul who blind even as a worm is blind has spent his hour in torturing his fellows as a benediction i am tired could you speak of this some other time i should be grateful if your womanhood would bend to hear me longer i wither here in twilight but i know that i shall rise from it again to ecstasy that thought is given to us to help us to endure the human spirit must pierce to the innermost retreats of good and evil before its consummation is complete i suffer here because my term is long and yet i have the power of knowledge knowledge such as all the justice that has tortured the poor world since it was born cannot attain to i must stop now i shall come again and speak to you of what you must experience before you come to fitness copy of automatic script written on july thirteenth nineteen twenty three the writer was mr v with mrs travers smith touching his hand present miss cummins the communication was written in an hour and a half the only interruptions were the replacing of one pencil by another when the point was worn down oscar wilde society sent me to prison and then into exile the world that had welcomed me so gladly thrust me out from its care with the brand of cain on my brow and the charity of christ in my heart i set out to seek my bread in sorrow and like christ or cain i found how weary the way was and like dante how salt the bread when i found it the world had no place for me when i walked in public places i was asked to go and when in hot confusion i retreated the curious craned their heads or raised their lorgnettes that they might the better view a monster of vice 
i had lost everything except my genius all the precious things that i had gathered about me in my chelsea home and that had become almost a part of my personality were scattered to the winds or lost or passed into careless and alien hands the very children of my imagination were thought unworthy to live and a lady whom i had trusted and who in the days of my pride had often called me her friend deliberately destroyed a manuscript of mine as the man was tainted so must his work be tainted also the leper with his cowl and little bell was not more shunned than i but though i have forgiven the world the humiliations that were heaped upon me and though i can forgive even that last insult of posthumous popularity that has been offered me i find it hard to forgive them for translating my beautiful prose into german you may smile but that to the artist was a very real form of murder to have maimed my soul was terrible but to have maimed the soul of my work was more terrible still for my work besides being my great memorial is my one link with the minds of living men more than that it is the golden thread that will draw me close to the happier generations in the after-time and i am filled with a noble pleasure when i think that children yet unborn will read in my pages the story of one who found love better than riches or of him who refused the fair raiment of a king that justice might hold her sceptre in the land or of one who denied the mother that bore him and expiated his sin in deeds of mercy and kindness i once said i think it was in dorian gray that art had a soul but man had not when i wrote those words they were perhaps no more to me than a phrase flung from the flippant lips of a cynic i did not realize that they would have any tragic relation to my own life or to the lives of us all they were perhaps only half true it would have been better to have said that man has a soul and that the soul finds its true immortality through art art is the true vishnu the preserver who embalms the soul for eternity and embalms it not in natron or in wax or in honey like some poor lifeless thing but in its own living fires the makers of history those who ruled mankind with justice or with the pitiless sword may find that the secret springs of their actions are hidden from posterity and their motives misunderstood so that the good they did is accounted unto them as evil and the evil good the man of science lives in the name of the flower or the star he has discovered and like a flower or a star 
his memory has no secure abiding place his work can be seen only in relation to the work of others his theories are superseded the little stone of jasper or of beryl is hidden away under the masonry of many hands so that they who contemplate the finished edifice forget the individual builder to make one perfect illustration of this look at the history of astronomy on that wondrous shield forged by hephaestus for achilles on which was depicted the whole of the life of man in its joy and sorrow we are told was wrought the earth and the sea and the unwearying sun the pleiads and the hyads she that men call the bear who watches orion and alone hath no part in the baths of ocean that picture in its ageless simplicity of charm is as true to-day as it was in historic times the mariner at his wheel or the peasant in the silent fields at evening may gaze on the same stars as homer's heroes can watch the blazing sirius and know not that to the greek it brought fever and pestilence and sorrow can note the pleiades and remember not that their rising was the sign for the great horned ships to go forth on the sea but with science it is very different we talk about the changeless constellations but through the ages of science the scroll of the heavens is a palimpsest on which are written and raised the names of many men at the coming of copernicus the heavens of ptolemy ceased to revolve and after copernicus came galileo and tycho brahe and kepler followed the dane and the fair guiding angel of kepler's planets faded into the cold dawn of newton's great formula and last like a monstrous fish newton himself lies snared in the strange nets of space and time that einstein has set about him and of all these men what can we know what whisper of personality reaches us through the ages a few anecdotes and these mostly myths such as the myth of newton losing his horse and returning the bridle or of newton forgetting he had dined or of kepler solving the problem of matrimony by mathematics or of galileo telling the bystanders that nature abhorred a vacuum but a vacuum of not more than thirty feet and as it was in the past so it will be in the future when we have forgotten all that poincare did in mathematics we shall remember that he walked the streets of paris with a strange bird-cage which he had picked up at some stall and was puzzled to know how to dispose of and if we turn to the artists and poets we shall find that their lives are just as uninteresting and as incomplete even the love affairs of the poets 
are like those of ordinary mortals we feel as we read them they are as purely accidental as incomplete and as frankly physical as those of thousands of quite commonplace people which of us really wants to pry into chopin's life at majorca or his relations with george sand or who without weariness can read the ravings of keats over poor foolish fanny braun these things don't interest us and simply because they do not reveal to us personality in fact a ploughman in love and a poet in love present much the same spectacle only the poet has a capacity for self-deception that the ploughman happily for himself can never attain to these things are of no real vital consequence they may like charlotte bronte's teapot furnish lacrimal urns for the sentimental or go to swell the muck-heaps of that latest terror of modern society the psychoanalyst but to the student of letters the seeker after personality they signify so very little in his search for the real chopin and the real keats he will turn his eyes elsewhere he will realize that all we should care to know of chopin all at least that it is important for us to know the poet has put into those impassioned preludes and in that wonderful last sonnet the soul of keats shines as steadfast as the lone star to which it was addressed and sings as sweetly in the great ode as the immortal bird once sang in the hampstead garden copy of automatic script received on july thirteenth through the hand of mr v mrs travers smith touching his hand tell me dear lady what are the virtues that are necessary for a happy life tell me in a few words i don't want to know anything about the vices mrs t s give me your views i have no views i wish i knew if i did i should not tell you since it is always bad advice that is given away mrs t s i really cannot name any virtue that makes for a happy life i was afraid you were going to say work never having done any in my life i am naturally an authority on it ah i forget i once trundled the barrow for poor old john ruskin and in a moment of weakness i almost renounced the great cardinal doctrine of the indignity of labour but during those few days i learned so much about the body of man under socialism that afterwards i only cared to write about the soul i told people that i never even walked but that was a pardonable exaggeration i always walked to bed don't talk to me about work dear lady it is the last refuge of the mentally unemployed the occupation of those too dull to dream to be eternally busy 
is a sign of a low vitality they who go to the ant to learn her ways always come back antiquated but seldom wise and while it may be true that satan sometimes finds mischief for idle hands to do even god does not know what to do with the industrious so dear lady live to do nothing and be happy eschew work and be fine no one should ever do anything at least no woman should the woman who was content to merely be was always charming but the woman who did was often detestable this is the maxim which might be taken to heart by our modern business girls then instead of hunting so diligently for their husbands in dusty offices they would stay at home and their husbands would come to them copy of automatic script obtained on july nineteenth nineteen twenty three the writer was mr v mrs travers smith's hand touching his present miss travers smith miss cummins oscar wilde let me descend for once into the dull abyss of facts i would like the world to know that the story of walter pater wanting to kiss my hand was not true it was invented by me perhaps to assist in the revival of a lost art a story unknown to those present pater of course admired me immensely but he was far too sensible to do that pater sat at my feet in fact everybody sat at my feet he could not talk at all himself it is so difficult to drag the past from memory's black cave one of my earliest recollections was of a little farm in ireland at mccree cree no that's not the name glen cree where we stayed with willie and isa and there was a good old man used to look after our lessons a priest father prid pridu there was a beautiful stream near the farm other memories dining with arnold and pater near hyde park lunching with margot tennant mrs fox blunt and others in london asquith was like a fish out of water i did most of the talking and afterwards told margot stories stayed behind footnote in my diaries by wilfred scowen blunt on pages one seven eight to one seven nine the following entry occurs seventeenth of july a brilliant luncheon with margot and her husband at thirty upper grosvenor street and i took her a wedding ode which i had written for her amusement the other guests were mrs grenfell mrs daisy white ribsdale his brother reggie lester and oscar wilde all immensely talkative so that it was almost like a breakfast in france 
Asquith alone, rather out of it. I sat next to him and was rather sorry for him, though he was probably happy enough. After the rest had gone away, Oscar remained telling stories to me and Margot. No Mrs. Fox was present at the luncheon. This confusion may have occurred in connection with the next memory, referring to Father Prideaux Fox. Wilde evidently forgot his second name as he speaks of Father Prid Prideaux. End footnote. These statements were not within the knowledge of anyone present. Here Miss T.S. put her hand on Mr. V.'s hand instead of Mrs. T.S. The writing remained the same in character but became considerably larger. Oscar Wilde. One of my happiest moments, one of my few happy moments after leaving prison, was when I entertained the little school-children at the little village near Berneval. Of course I was Monsieur Sebastian Melnot in those days. Melmoth, from some ancestor of mine. Sebastian in memory of the dreadful arrows. Jean Dupré I knew in a Paris café. Everything is confused, and I misplace events in time. Another memory of poor Whistler. His painting was quite delightful. It had all the charm of being perfectly incomprehensible, and so formed an excellent basis for criticism. Unfortunately, in a rash moment, and in forgetfulness of a maxim which every conjurer knows, that where there is no mystery there can be no magic, he set about to explain himself. Mrs. T.S. Do write smaller. I do the best I can. Have patience. Poor James. He was really very absurd. I would watch him paint, and he would sing to himself some foolish ditty about his heart being true to Paul. I forget what. His pictures were interesting, but, of course, not so interesting as the things I should have said about them. Communication received by Mrs. Travers Smith at the Ouija Board, July 26th, 1923. Present. Miss D. Recording, and Miss Travers Smith. Asked about the Epstein Monument in Paris. Allow me to be slightly egotistical for once. The French are a humorous nation, but at the same time full of serious moral feelings. They naturally wished to do honour to one who had served art as far as his humble powers would permit him, and hence they raise a mighty tomb, which, in its monstrous want of taste, does homage to the man whose monstrous want of morals suggested the design. The French, dear lady, are a nation of moralists. Their morals are condensed, they have packed them so tightly that they cannot allow any sense of humour to come through. This mighty monument, built and designed to ornament my tomb, 
outraged the moral sense of the french nation so deeply that they decided with one voice that wilde and epstein taken together were dangerous to france the moral tone of the great nation would risk a blot upon its escutcheon if this indelicate block of hewn and carven marble was permitted to stand unchallenged in this design a part of me is given that part which the world has chosen as my symbol but this enormous mass of stone does not contain an atom of that power which came to me direct from my great ancestors the power which can create and fashion beauty is absent from this mountain erected by a man who should have known that each and all of us contain both what is noble and divine combined with what is built of heavy clay the french nation did me honour in refusing to permit a monument which expressed merely the earthy clay some one said here that the monument expressed the spirit struggling to shake off the clay an insult such as this should not be offered to the artist the artist does not struggle from the clay the artist is a spirit which creates not a mere body which is striving upwards my spirit which created beauty was spirit a passionate spirit craving for form and colour it did not strive to break its bonds because no bonds were there to bind it the monstrous creature shaped by mr epstein does not express the soul of oscar wilde in rejecting it the french did me great service therefore my wings were spread ready to carry me away into the heavens not lying slack and lifeless this was an instinct in the french this sure appreciation of my genius oscar wilde july twenty sixth nineteen twenty three i bow to your call dear lady why have i lost you the world cares little for a shade but if the shadows of my thoughts still interest i am willing that they should go forth as little moths flit into the deep night asked about freud's theory of dreams dreams dear lady in your sterile age dreams are degraded even as woman dreams are the food on which the children of the light subsist but in your age of cold and harsh ideas dreams have become the awful not the food but if you listen to the poet's voice the priest of beauty in her shrine dreams dwell far from the world and in your gross age they live on those who know that life is faded and without form unless the dream comes which creates for us the veritable image of beauty as she is we who have passed beyond your ken we only know what these men freud and young guess at tell the world that vision for it must ever be obscure while body still exists the mind is trammelled by weights 
such as the heaviest burden borne by man cannot compare to. End of section three.